Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan from Mount Gambier, Australia, and this is my quest to teach the whole New Testament as deeply and helpfully as I can. So grab your Bible and a beverage of choice, and let's take a few intentional minutes together in the deep end. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. Our passage for this episode is Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 48. Let's read that now. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant, whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming, and then he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. The first half of this chapter has followed a theme of staying in perspective. Instead of focusing entirely on temporal things, amassing wealth, dealing with all your daily needs, even enduring persecution, focus on what truly matters by keeping at least one eye on eternity, even as you live now. The second half of the chapter, beginning with these verses, offer early glimpses of why that perspective matters. For perhaps the first time in his earthly ministry, it is the first time at least in this podcast, Jesus introduces an idea of return. We know he has already begun to prepare his disciples for departure. We're not all that far from the cross here, and this will be spoken of again in the next episode. But here, he begins to explain that despite this departure being on the cards, a day would come when the Son of Man will return in glory. There is a whole lot about this event that we could go into here. And since a lot of Christians are quite fascinated by the subject, I know a number of this audience would certainly be on board with that ride. But there will be plenty of time in this podcast series to explore this further. Part of the mandate of this podcast is to take each passage on its own merit. So let me take it slowly through these deep subjects as they arise, just as Jesus himself brings these ideas out in his own time to his immediate audience. Now, in this passage... We are told through two interesting metaphors that this return will be sudden, but shouldn't be unexpected. And there is a mindset that we as believers are called to adopt as we engage with these ideas. Let's explore the passage and see what Jesus is expecting from us. And I have two big ideas here. 
The first expectation is that he finds us in active, watchful service. Jesus' main parable describes the relationship between a certain master and his servants. And we see that the master is knowingly putting his servants a little bit under the pump on this particular occasion. He has been called to a celebration and has given his servants a special request. I will be back later. Not sure when, but please wait up for my return. Jesus gives the audience a little more drama by calling it a wedding celebration. This could stretch out into midnight or even the crack of dawn or beyond. But whenever that door knocked and the master wanted to come back in, their responsibility was to be dressed for service. To be dressed this way meant to either remove or tuck in the outer robe they were wearing under a sash or belt. And this was a standard practice for anybody about to work, fight or travel. Incidentally, this was actually the posture that Jesus took when he washed the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. In this parable, the master comes home after the celebrations are eventually done. He may well be arriving a little worse for wear, maybe fatigued or less than his best in one way or another. And the servants who have been keeping watch are ready and attentive to his needs. Jesus explains it will be good for these servants who were awake and attentive when the master returned. The next day, he would wake up and become aware of the extra mile his servants had done. And because he is a good master, he repays them and rewards their service by serving them. They will be invited to relax at the table while he waits on them hand and foot. And he will promote them, giving them responsibility for greater things. Jesus is telling us here that his expectation of us is that when he returns, he wants to find us in a position of diligent service, awake and ready for when Jesus comes knocking, whenever that occurs. Jesus knows he is calling us to live a bit under the pump while he's away. And this parable in its context certainly acknowledges that. The pressure of living in service to our master is not to be unexpected. In fact, earlier when he sent the 12 and the 72, he knowingly sent them out as sheep among wolves. But those who showed endurance and staying power in those times would see and experience great things. We read that these sent ones in the gospel accounts did in fact see God coming through for them in provision and in power. In this current passage, the ones who are awake and active when Jesus returns will also be given great things, big things, responsible things. How big? How responsible? Well, we will eventually get to the parable of the ten servants in Luke chapter 19 and see an idea of rewards for faithful servants. I assure you there will be a thorough episode on that passage when we get there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul tells that congregation to get their act together because they'll be judging fallen angels at the end time. I don't know about you, but that sounds like huge responsibility to me. It's clear in Scripture that in one way or another, the ones who are faithful with the small things they have now will be given greater things in eternity to steward. When we begin to study that, we see big eternal things in store for God's people, and the diligence and readiness we show now determines where we will fit in with that. Now, there is one other key expectation in play here, that as we occupy this position of service, we are careful to wield influence with integrity. Jesus unfolds the parable a little more here and speaks of some servants who were no longer concerned about the master's return. As a result, the person appointed as the head servant was forgetting his place and beginning to take a master's role that he had no business taking. Instead of working with the other servants, he's sitting on the sidelines, ordering everybody else around. 
He's supposed to be overseeing their welfare, but he begins to withhold their food and beat them. He is supposed to lead the way in diligence, but instead he's living without restraint. He has delegated power, which he is clearly abusing. In addition to this, he has become convinced that the master is intentionally delaying his return, and that there would be time to live it all up and perhaps even clean up before the master gets back. Unfortunately for him, the master does in fact return when he's in that state, and the outcome for him is not good. Friend, if we trivialize eternity and only look out for ourselves in any part of our faith expression, we will be found wanting. The man in the last episode who kept more than he needed in this life lost everything in eternity. The man in this passage who abused his place of influence was numbered with the hypocrites and heathen for eternity. After Peter's question about where Jesus is pitching his teaching, we see some key takeaways. The call to be found active and ready was for the entire crowd. Every believer is called to live a life of diligence that is marked by ongoing expectation and readiness. The call to be faithful managing servants was certainly directed at the apostles. But we know it was recorded in print for a reason, don't we? These words were published for the sake of a wider audience to take in, one that reached well beyond Jewish territories. These instructions to the apostles became principles for the church of any age. Therefore, anyone who wanted to be influential in the church was being put on notice here. The very first intake of the church had a pretty strong sense of expectation that the return of Jesus would occur somewhat swiftly, and there was a clear sense of readiness in play. Some of Paul's letters come across like it's an impending event, one that should be a cause of urgency in their time. It was a cause for hope, which was shared as they encouraged each other each time they gathered. Remember, he's returning. Hang in there. However, most of the New Testament was written after a few decades had gone by, and the possibility that Jesus' return was a longer-term plan was becoming a distinct possibility. That means that as these Gospels were being read out, the complacent and unbelieving servants that Jesus speaks of in this passage were already emerging. Leaders were appearing who would teach awful falsehoods. Some of it was as simple as promoting Jewish practices that Jesus himself had done away with at the cross and in his ministry. Much of it was about shepherds fleecing their sheep and holding them through manipulation and deceit rather than the freedom of the gospel. Towards the end of the first century, we even see the deity of Christ being challenged through an emerging heretical movement called Gnosticism. In scripture, we see church people abusing their place of privilege in Christ in other ways too by refusing to acknowledge open sin in their midst, by facilitating division and keeping false teachers close, by becoming lukewarm in at least one location and standing for nothing. In other locations, they were becoming so intolerant that their capacity for love towards both God and each other was greatly diminished. The writer of Hebrews also addresses the fact that the nasty habit of skipping church was creeping in because gathering together to worship and to spur each other on was no longer a priority. That writer says that since we know that day is coming, don't forsake those things. And that's just the New Testament. But it does sound a little bit, well, a lot, like the Western church today too, doesn't it? Friend, since the day is even closer now than it was then, we must remember that Jesus is expecting more from us. So let's reflect on this. Friend, are you living and doing life in awareness of the imminent return of the Master? If he were to return as early as this week, what state would he find you in? 
would you be found sleeping or serving? And if his return is delayed, as millions of believers before us have experienced thus far, would it change the way you live? There's always people declaring their belief that Jesus is sure to return in this generation. But what if that's simply not the case? The risk in all of us is that we could easily take advantage of his delay and cast off restraint in this life. We could drop our guard and our disciplines. We could wield inappropriate influence and lead people astray. We could beat on the fellow servants in many ways. We could withhold our skills and our gifting and forsake our responsibilities. But the end of these things will be disaster. What we sow now is reaped in eternity. And being cut asunder and cast out into hell with the hypocrites is a very clear statement from Jesus that when he returns, he means business. Friend, does anything in your life look like that? Are you taking too much liberty? Are you taking advantage of the fact that the master is away? Or are you awake, serving, faithful, and diligent? When Jesus returns, what will he find in you? And also, it's important to note this last idea in this lesson, that the one from whom much is given will have the most demanded back and will be punished all the more if found unfaithful upon the master's return. Given that this is partly answering Peter's question, it clearly addresses the responsibility that leaders in the church hold. We must not be found beating the other servants or using them for our gain. We must not be putting them to work and settling ourselves into excess at their expense. We must keep the right perspective that we are fellow servants, and our mission is the same as theirs, to be faithful until the master's return. If we are the chief servants of the parable, the ones put in charge by the master as it were, then we have a huge responsibility in properly stewarding that call. May we all be about the business and the will of the master, and may we all be found faithful when he finally returns. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about this podcast and other ministries I'm involved in, go to my new website, www.ministryinthedeepend.com.au. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and even YouTube. So please like, follow, subscribe, connect, and comment wherever you can. I look forward to catching up next time. See you then.